In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. This is one of the darkest passages that we have in the readings of the church about the end of the world and all the calamities and earthquakes and the disasters and the darkness. And it seems like it's all about this doom and gloom. But if we take a closer look at the intentions of Christ behind these words, you'll see that there's a powerful reason. When Christ is talking to the people about what to expect, He's not doing that to scare anybody, but He's doing that to convict us, to, to remind us to prepare, to remind us to, to repent. And that's typically what all of the adversities that come into our life are intended to do. Right? All these calamities that we hear about are intended to awaken our conscience. Right? Because whenever we get comfortable, you know, we get a little relaxed and we fall into that lukewarmness and our conscience gets a little numb. Right? But all of this is intended to awaken our conscience. This is exactly what we see in Revelations whenever John is... Uh, witnessing the, the end of the world and, and he's telling different messages to the churches, the, the seven churches. And in one of the churches, the church of Laodicea, he tells them a very specific message. He says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and what? And repent. As many as I love, I what? I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. So, a lot of these tribulations that come into our life are to chasten us, to chastise us. Right? And the intentions behind that is to awaken our conscience for us to respond with repentance. Okay? God does not desire the death of a sinner, but rather that he returns and lives. Every tribulation in our life is intended for our repentance, is intended for us to return back to God. Just like what happened in the life of the prodigal son. Whenever he left and there was this great famine in the land. What happened? He hit rock bottom, it awakened his conscience, and he returned back to his father. Right? Every tribulation around whether the external or internal, whether well, something happening deep within our soul, any tribulation or trial within our own life, or our own circumstances around us. When God is working, His intentions are to refine us, to edify us, to benefit us, not to harm us. He desires not the death of a sinner, but rather that He returns and lives. Now, that means every chastisement is to correct us, Right? And of course, that chastisement or that discipline can seem punitive at times. Maybe it seems like a punishment. But it's not. It's to correct. It's to change. It's to transform us. To bring us back to our original condition. In Proverbs 3.12, the scriptures tell us, For whom the Lord loves, He corrects, just as a father, the son in whom He delights. That our intention is correction. Chastisement is to correct. 
Right? That's what the discipline in our life is intended to do. Not to punish us, even though it may seem like a punishment at times. Right? But whatever God is doing in our life is to restore us, is to correct us. And any good parent knows this. Right? Your child steps out of line, and there's typically a chastisement. Right? There's typically a consequence to their misbehavior. And to the child, it might seem like a punishment, but what are you really intending to do? Trying to correct their behavior. But to the child, it hurts. Mom, you're so mean. Dad, you're so mean. Why don't you understand? What are you doing to me? And it sounds like it's the end of the world. But in reality, what you're trying to do is to correct. You're trying to edify your child. And that's what God does with us. And I'm speaking from experience because I remember those days when I was younger and my parents would correct me and it seems like they're just trying to punish me to just... Uh, because they want to exercise their power and authority over me. But in reality, because of their love, they want to correct me. They want me to be better. Any chastisement, by definition, is going to be painful. When we're disciplined, it's not like, you know, God puts a red carpet in front of us and it's like rose petals and it's going to be delightful and comfortable and we're going to sit there relaxed. No, it's painful. Chastisement is painful. Right? Even if it is corrective. Right? I'm not talking about a punishment. I'm talking about chastisement. Any sort of correction. It's going to be painful. In Hebrews 12, 11, The scriptures tell us, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So yes, at that time, it's going to seem painful. right? It's going to seem dark and gloomy. It's going to seem bitter. But the intention is to refine us or to benefit us. There's a a friend of mine who broke a bone, broke a bone in, in his arm, and it didn't heal in the right alignment. So... When my friend went to the doctor, told me the story, the doctor looked at it, looked at the x-ray, said, this isn't right. So, <laughs> what did he do? <laughs> he broke the bone right at the site of the fracture, reset it, put it back in place so it's in the right line. Now, whenever you reset that bone and you break it again, it's not fun. It's very painful, but it's essential. It's critical for that bone to heal in the proper alignment. This is what God does with us. Right? And, and if we really understand that, then when we read the scriptures in these passages, when God mentions all of these tribulations and the trials, realize that the intention behind it is to awaken our conscience. The intentions for us to repent, to return back to God. And so now, how do we respond whenever we encounter these tribulations? Whenever life gets hard, whenever there's like a, a real trial in my life, whenever I'm suffering, right? whether it's because of circumstances around me or something personally in my own life, how do I respond? Typically, I think we respond in one of three ways. One of the first ways is that we get into this like 
critical analysis. We try to analyze the situation. Why is this happening? Who's causing this? Is God doing this to me? Is it the devil? Is it just my circumstance? And we get all analytical. Another response is maybe we just kind of throw in a towel. We give up. We fall into despair. And we become a little despondent. And that's whenever we respond with self-pity. right? And a lot of us fall into that. Why is this happening to me? This is unfair. And we play the victim card. right? And we just fall into this dark hole of self-pity. Or another response, the third one, which is ideally how we respond, is with joyful surrender. That we embrace whatever God sends us, we joyfully surrender to the circumstances in our life with contentment, and we embrace it. You know, for the first one, this critical analysis, it's important to realize that this is really a futile attempt. Whenever you encounter tribulations in your life and you try to isolate a single cause, it's almost always impossible to do. Right? You're trying to analyze the situation. Is it really God who's doing this? Is it really like a trial from the devil? Is it like my circumstances? Is it just bad people around me? Because so many powers are at play in my life. It's nearly impossible to isolate what's really happening. Because God is involved, the devil is clearly always working. I don't live in a vacuum, people are around me. I'm a product of the environment that I was raised in and all of that. And so, so many factors are at play. So I sometimes like spin out of control trying to analyze the situation. And it does me no good. And even if I were able to isolate the cause of all of my tribulations... Maybe this is something sent by God, right? Just like one of the plagues in the Old Testament whenever Moses was trying to free the people from bondage in Egypt. Maybe God sent it. Or maybe it was the devil himself. Like at the end of the day, so what? Am I going to react any differently after I've like isolated the cause behind all the troubles in my life? At the end of the day, I'm called to just find God in it repent, and embrace the situation. I'm going to have to deal with it, regardless of who's behind it. In John 9, we encounter the, the event whenever Christ heals the man born blind. And as soon as the disciples see this man, they ask a very strange question. They ask, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The first thought on their mind, like, okay, let's try to analyze why this happened. It's probably because he sinned or his parents sinned. Christ doesn't even answer the question. It's not because he sinned or his parents sinned, but that the glory of God may be revealed in him. Right? And so he redirected their attention from this critical analysis, trying to discern the reason for this man's condition, to the goal behind this whole process. The situation is supposed to lead you to repentance and to glorify God. Right? So I need to ask myself, do I fall into this trap of this critical analysis? St. Paul struggled with this thorn in the flesh, even though it was sent as a messenger of Satan. Right? 
to humble him. And even though he prayed to God and God said no, he didn't start to analyze this story. Was it really God who's refusing to help me? Or, you know, the devil is the one causing this. But he looked at his situation and he realized that there is strength in this weakness. In 2 Corinthians 12.10, he says, Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It doesn't matter what's crippling me. Fact of the matter is, I'm in this condition. I'm struggling. I'm in pain. I'm suffering right now. But when I am weak, I will lean on the strength of Christ. I'll find His, his strength. And that's why I said, I would rather boast in my infirmities. So, that's for us to keep in mind. Whether I respond with this critical analysis, because it's not healthy. But if I have peace and contentment, if I have faith, then I find God in it. Another way we tend to respond is with self-pity. And the truth of the matter is, sometimes the world is really against us. Sometimes we are mistreated. Sometimes we are treated unfairly. Right? And we have the right to just fall into this, you know, this self-pity. But what happens when we do that? Like we only add to our miseries. A lot of times we actually make our situation worse whenever we, we play this victim card. There's a really cool study that they did a few decades ago where they, uh, they wanted to see how people will interact with uh, like a, a, few, a few women that went... Well, a few men and women that went to uh, interview for a job. And they wanted to see how the, the, the managers will interact with them if they put some scars on their faces. Like, how will they be treated if they had some scars? So... They sat them down, they got some makeup artists, and they put scars on their faces. And they, and they wanted to send them out. All right? And then they showed them in the mirror, they showed like this like, big hideous scar on their face. But just before they left, they said, wait, let's like, like touch up that scar really quick. And they actually removed the scar before they left. Okay, a very interesting study. So they went out thinking that they were scarred. But in reality, they removed the scar. You know how like, they reported their interactions whenever they returned back? They reported being discriminated because of their scars. They reported even some references to their scars. Like saying that you know, people discriminated against their appearance. When in fact there was absolutely nothing wrong with their appearance. Right? So they fabricated this narrative that... I'm just like a victim of these circumstances and I have these scars. And that became the reality. Right? They invented an alternative reality. A lot of times, we have every reason to say, like, I have these scars. I have these issues. You know, someone did this to me. Someone did that to me. Someone mistreated me. And sure, I can go out there 
and act like I'm the victim, act like this is a mess, act like this is the biggest problem in the world. But what does that do for me? It only adds to my... It only makes things worse. If you look at the saints, someone like St. Pope Carlos, who had the whole world against him, everybody was trying to remove him from his office. From the first day as the Pope until his very last breath. And he had every right to complain. And to say like, enough, khalas, like, why me? But not once did he ever complain. Right? Look at someone like St. Athanasius. The guy defended the faith against the biggest heresies. Right? And after that, he was exiled five times. Nobody gave him any credit. Nobody appreciated what he's doing. If somebody could have said, this sucks, this is like the worst ever, why me? And to complain and to play the victim card, it was St. Athanasius. And they came and told him, the world is against you. <laughs> if, if, if I'm in his shoes, I'm like, I know, trust me, like, can a guy catch a break? This sucks. But instead, how did he respond? said, and I am against the world. He leaned on the strength of Christ. He didn't play into this self-pity. He didn't act like the victim, even though he had every right to do so. So I'm not saying you'll never be treated unfairly. You will be. You will be mistreated. Christ even promised us that. But Christ never acted like the victim, and he was the only innocent one who was mistreated. And so, if we are to follow in His footsteps, when we encounter the tribulations in our life, we take up our cross, we lean on Him for strength. Right? And it's hard. It's hard because sometimes the injustices, the mistreatments are, are extreme. Right? But if we follow in the footsteps of the saints, we'll find courage and hope. Again, St. Paul experienced this. He said, if God is with us, who can be against us? Right? Sure, the whole world is against you. Everybody is mistreating you. You're being treated unfairly. Sure. But if God is with us, who can be against us? A little bit later in the same chapter, in Romans 8, verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Right? We're killed all day long. We're being mistreated all day long. But we're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I'm persuaded... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Nothing. If the world is against me, all the tribulations, all the distresses, all the calamities in the world, right? whenever... You read this passage that we read in the gospel. And you, you notice all of these horrific events. And some of them are already happening today. Which of them can separate me from the love of Christ? 
Nothing. Because nothing is greater than His love. Right? His love is more powerful than death itself. Uh, so what's the solution? The solution is found when we look at the place that Christ uttered these words. A lot of times we, we read this passage and all of these dramatic events grab our attention. But what should grab our attention is actually the very beginning of this passage, the very first line. Now, if you notice, Christ said these words from a specific place, right? The very first verse. Now as He sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be? So where did He utter these words? From the Mount of Olives. All of these horrific events come from the Mount of Olives. What's the big deal? What's the significance of the Mount of Olives? Okay, listen to what Bede the scholar says. The Mount of Olives designates the height of the Lord's benevolence and mercy. For in Greek, mercy is called eleos, right? You all know that. Like Kyrie eleison, eleos is mercy. Mercy is called eleos. And an olive plant is called eleon. Okay, so you see the similarity. An olive plant is called Elion. Jesus made his way to the Mount of Olives to announce that the peak of mercy consists in himself. So it's as if all of these words are uttered from the place of mercy. He's talking about all of these calamities. But he's talking about these calamities from the place of mercy. All of these disasters actually come from his love. And that's the irony. The irony is that every tribulation, every cross, is handed to me from the hands of a loving God, from His mercy, right? for my edification, the same way as any chastisement. Any chastisement is for my correction, for my benefit, not to just punish me. St. Isaac the Syrian says, Among all his actions there is none which is not entirely a matter of mercy, love, and compassion. There is nothing that God does that is not a product of His mercy and love and compassion. Nothing. And so when I look at my life and all of the struggles, all the tribulations, all the trials, when I'm suffering, whatever it may be, know for a fact that the one behind it is the one who does nothing without love, mercy and compassion. So, how do we respond in all of these afflictions? Do I respond with a joyful embrace? Do I respond with that faith, knowing that the trials and the struggles, the tribulations in my life are handed to me from a loving God? Do I trust in that? Or do I respond with bitterness? Do I try to analyze the situation? Right? And, and that's naturally what happens when I get into this critical analysis. I get frustrated, I get bitter, I get resentful because like, I can't find meaning in it. Right? Or do I fall into self-pity and with that is hopelessness and despondency? Or do I respond with joyful surrender, with a joyful embrace? Do I accept with contentment? In Psalms 119.71, David says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, 
that I may learn your statutes. It's good that I was afflicted. Right? And, and David went through a lot. But with every tribulation, every struggle, he said, Ahsan, I deserve this. I need this. God is working to refine me. God is working to edify me. I'm glad that I was afflicted. Do I respond with that mindset, with that attitude? Or do I roll my eyes? Do I try to analyze? Do I respond with bitterness? Every struggle in my life is a challenge. And, and with that challenge is an opportunity to accept and appreciate God's work in my life to refine me. Right? Like every parent would love for their child to just respond with, with a sort of appreciation whenever they're chastised. Right? Whenever a child is misbehaving and, and, and the parent says, okay, we're going to do this now. You know, you, you need to learn to do this. How beautiful would it be if the child just responds with gladness and appreciates the correction that his parents give him? That's how God wants us to respond to him. I'm glad that I was afflicted I may learn your statutes. Remember, one of the mothers in, in the desert, when her life was... Lacking any sort of struggles for several years. I think it was about like 10 years or so. That she had no cross, no affliction, no tribulation. And she prayed to God and asked Him, What is it Lord? Have you forgotten about me? Did you forget about me? My life is just easy. It's comfortable. I'm not going through the fire. I'm, I'm, I'm not growing. Nothing is refining me. Right? This is how the saints lived their life. Leave you with a story from the Arab-Israeli war. Remember this war several decades ago. And one of the, the Christians in, in the Arab camp <clears throat> was, was sent out to, to join his troops and on his way, like his... His parents helped him to get his bags together. And his mom put this little verse in, in his bag saying, May the God of Israel defend you. It's from the Psalms. May the God of Israel defend you. And she just put that in his bag and sent him off. Right? Keep in mind, this is the Arab-Israeli war. Right? And so he goes out and you know, whenever they, they see him, they scream for all his stuff. And they see this in his bag. Like, are you a spy? Are you with the uh, like, uh, Israeli army? What are you doing here? And so they capture him and they throw him in this prison. <clears throat> right? They remove him from his battalion and throw him in this prison. And they think he's a spy, so they're treating him like a, a spy. And every day they are abusing him. Every day they are torturing him. Like, this guy is like getting beaten every day Day after day, day after day, he's getting tortured, and he did absolutely nothing. He's telling them, "I'm, I'm not Israeli. I'm, I'm, I'm part of the troops. I'm a citizen. Like you, you got this all wrong." And, and they're not listening to him. They're just beating him every day for and this lasts for a whole week, right? And imagine what's going through his mind. Why, God? I'm coming here. I'm faithful. I'm trying to to be honest in my work. I'm, I'm trying to defend my country. Why are you doing this to me? 
And so after a week of this, they come back to him and they say, we're sorry, it turns out we got this all wrong. We did a little bit more research into your citizenship and so on, and it turns out you're really not an Israeli citizen and you're not a spy after all. <laughs> so it's like, well, there's nothing I can say. It is what it is, and I could just send me back to my battalion. And like, oh no, your battalion got attacked yesterday, and like the whole camp got killed by invaders. <laughs> you see, because he was in this prison, and he was separated from his battalion, God actually spared his life. And what he thought was this unfair punishment. What he thought was just like this cruel mistreatment was actually grace. Right? God sparing his life. And had that never happened, he would have ended up gone with the rest of the battalion that, that, that he was joining. If we learn to see God's love in every situation... We will accept it. We will embrace it. St. Paisius said, In every trial, let us say, Thank you, my God, because this was needed for my salvation. I repeat that one more time. In every trial, let us say, Thank you, my God, because this was needed for my salvation. Unto God is due all glory forever. Amen.